The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the, the question was a little bit more about the receptive awareness that uh, I talked about last night. And um, you described a time in the kitchen when you were quite aware of things, the, the sound of the music and the colors of the vegetables and the movement and just very present. Um, but you weren't labeling. You weren't saying, you know, knife or that kind of thing. So you were just curious about that. Now I'm curious in that experience, and you can just nod for this, in that experience were you um, uh, while you weren't you didn't you said you weren't labeling like, you know, what you were knowing, uh, was there a clear sense that you were aware? Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean the the labeling piece is not again, that's that's a, that's more of a tool for helping us to um, acknowledge what we are attending to. Um, The labeling is not necessary uh, to be present. In fact, um, you know, the labeling is a little bit of an after after fact. So that, to me, your description of that sounds like receptive awareness. It doesn't sound like you were choosing where your attention was going. You were just settled settled back just present and very naturally in the place of kind of relaxed present the mind will naturally just know colors and sounds and so that's that is the the kind of the receptive awareness that I was describing Um, one thing about this so it sounds to me like your um you may have a kind of a natural inclination to receptive awareness because that seemed very natural for you. Now let me just say, is there, in, is there any specific question you have about that? Um, so a, a couple of other pieces that I thought of that I didn't have an opportunity to, um, to talk about last night... Um, So the first thing I'll say is what you experienced there, that what I just described about, you know, you're being present and, and uh, experiencing the sound of the music and the sights and the, the movement, just very um, naturally knowing what was happening in the present moment. That's one way that the uh, receptive awareness can feel, can be experienced. Um, there are different ways we can be with receptive awareness. So I will say that is receptive. What you were experiencing is a form of receptive awareness, but I wouldn't want it to be, oh, that's receptive awareness. Let me try to get back to that. Um, Because sometimes there can be a, a receptive awareness that is directed. So I kind of pointed to this a little bit around the breath that... You know that, for instance, you can um, you can tune or kind of restrict, narrow the focus to what you're attending to. So, in that situation, for instance, you could have um, gotten curious about the music, close your eyes and let your attention go there, and yet still been receiving 
not like going out and listening. What's that part? What's that part? What's that part? So there is a way sometimes, like, like um, again, the radio analogy is kind of interesting. Uh, as far as I know, the way radios work, um, there's the antenna and there's a receiver in the radio. And there's all of this, like, stuff in the air, right? I mean, all of these radio waves from all these, on all these different frequencies that are just kind of going in the air. And um, we tune the radio, we turn the dial on the radio to pick up a particular frequency. But that tuning of that to that frequency doesn't mean that that antenna and that receiver are going out and trying to find the frequency. They're just kind of, they're just at that point, it's like narrowing the bandwidth of what the receiver will pick up. And then it just accepts that piece. And so kind of similarly, the receptive awareness can be very broad in the radio analogy when, the, uh, frequency, when, when you haven't tuned the frequency, you basically get static, you know, because you're taking in so much. Our minds are, are more um, flexible than the radio. It doesn't feel just like static. You know, we can really take in a lot. Um, so in the in the radio analogy when when it's broad there's you know you just get off the the information from all the different channels or we can kind of decide okay let's narrow it down and look at just this so we can also with this receptive function of awareness choose to let the attention land on the breath and then receive that experience or let the attention land on the hearing and receive that experience. Um, we can, in any uh, in in an open awareness, we can also um, be a little more precise. You know, it's like you know, we could be in an open awareness, choosing to some extent. Okay. Um, uh, when something appears to direct the attention to that for a few moments and then let go and then let something else appear and direct the attention to that. So there, there can be a mixture of the directed and the receptive in any particular uh, practice. And it has to do with this factor of conscious choice around attention. And so, you know, the, the conscious choice to to kind of narrow the focus to the breathing, but then within that context, within that focus of the breathing, to not go looking, you know? It's more like, okay, so narrow that down, but then just settle back and like, the body, the body is breathing, the body is already doing the breathing, the body is already producing sensations. It's not like we have to create the sensations, they're happening and so what are the sensations that are obvious around that? So that's, that's just a piece I wanted to, to clarify. You know, sometimes we get an idea like, oh, that's what it is. And, and then we try to go looking for that. So thank you for the question. Um, one other piece that occurred to me to mention, I'll just check in and see is this of interest to you, is... Um, uh, a couple different ways that I've seen in my own practice to start to build a bridge either, you know, to start, to, I talked about, you know, starting from where it's natural for you. Most people have a kind of a 
one way might be a little easier than another, um, that there might be more of a natural ease with being focused on one experience versus for some people it might be more natural to be receptive and settled back. And I talked about going in the doorway that's most natural for you and building a bridge, you know. I didn't talk about ways that I have built that bridge. Um, And I have explored it from both sides. You know, sometimes where the... um, the focused attention is most natural. How did I... I said, As I said last night, you know, when I first did it, it was like chaos. Um, and I began to explore how might it... How might I more uh, easily open to a broad experience without being overwhelmed? So I've got a couple of suggestions there. And also from the other side, you know, uh, from an open awareness, how one might... Um, begin to apply or move in the direction of settled. So, is this of interest? Show of hands. Okay, sounds like enough interest. (laughs) Um, So, from... I'll try to keep this relatively concise... From the place of you're able to stay like here here i am i'm I'm with the with the sensation of breathing, you know the the practice of with the sensation of breathing and able to be with that, you know let the the mind wanders a little bit, you let go of that and come back to the breathing where that feels fairly comfortable for you um my initial way of trying to deal with going to open awareness was just, okay, let go of the breath and like take everything in. That's what felt so overwhelming. And so I began to explore a couple different options. And one is when I'm with the breath or when I'm with one experience, sometimes like when you're with the breath, like for instance, a sound might happen, right? And the attention moves to the sound, so that's, this is one of, the, one of the ways that we explore this um, practice of staying with an experience, that when our attention gets pulled to something else, we might stay with that for a few moments, but then let that go and come back to the breath. So like when you're with the breath, with one experience, you're probably going to notice sometimes that the attention gets a little weak on the breath or it it kind of moves to another experience, maybe a a strong body sensation or a strong sound or or maybe something else gets gets predominant. Is this familiar? Do you you know what I'm I'm talking about? That when you're with the breath that your attention gets pulled away and you you, you, you know that it's gotten pulled away. And so often what we do there is say, oh, let go of that and come back to the breath. So one way to explore moving more towards an open awareness would be you're with the breath, your attention gets pulled to something else. Let go at that point of the intention to come back to the breath. Be with that thing, whatever it is, the sound, for as long as it's there. And then see if you can just open to when when that ends or when that becomes no longer so predominant, What's now obvious? So what you've seen in the movement from the breath 
uh, from the attention with the breath to the attention drawn to something else, there you're already seeing how the attention works. You know, you didn't probably choose to make that attention go someplace else. The attention was drawn there. So that's a kind of an example of receiving right there. You're already receiving. So the, the attention with the breath, it's gone to something else. And then instead of having the idea of come back, it's like, okay, that was what the mind was interested in. As that ends or goes, what else is the mind interested in? So just exploring it from that perspective. And at any point in that exploration, you're welcome to pick back up okay, this is too confusing. I'm going to come back to the breath. So it gives you a little bit of a, of a doorway to begin to let go of that um, anchor and begin to explore where does the attention move from there. So that's one way that I, I explored opening up. Another way that I explored opening up, this was probably the first way that I explored opening up, um, was to keep my attention with the breath, keep my attention with the breath, to not let go of the breath, but to also not have the idea that it was supposed to be really narrow on the breath. So it's kind of like, okay, there's breath and hearing. And there's breath and dryness. So it's just that, that the, the it's, it's kind of like staying, holding on to that tether of the breath, but allowing the uh, attention to also be a little broader. You could use the noting there, and, and maybe even turning it around, I was saying the breath and. It could be the other way. It could be, okay, there's sound, there's hearing, and the breath there's pressure and the breath. There's hearing and the breath. There's happiness and the breath. <laughs> so just, you know, you can keep that directed focus there if it feels, for me, it just felt like I got unmoored when I let go of the breath. And the mind just kind of got so distraught in that space of being unmoored, it wasn't really capable of meeting experience. And so just holding to a tether like that helped, helped me. So it's kind of like rather than it being this kind of a focus, it's more like, yeah, that's there. And, you know, oh, here's a good analogy. Tanisaro Bhikkhu uses this, that when you can have a way of attending to a primary object that is, you know, kind of like, if you think of light and, and the light of a candle illuminating a room being kind of like awareness, if you have a candle in the middle of the room, you can, you know, be looking right at the light, looking at the candle, looking at the, at the you know, just that little bit. Or you can notice that the light of the candle illuminates other things in the room. So there's this, uh, the, you know, the kind of the, the attention to the breath can be there, but not like focusing, and what's that breath? And how does, it, how does it feel? What are all the sensations of the breath? 
but more just like, oh yeah, there's the breath, and there's a lot of other experience happening too. So that's another way of, of opening from, from the breath. Now those are the two that I thought of talking from that direction. From the other side, from the other side of um, uh, finding it more easeful in a way, I mean, when I finally understood, as I said last night, I met a teacher who really could describe and help me to see how to, how to receive experience. Um, when I finally uh, got that, there was so much more accessibility to a relaxed attention that what I discovered in retrospect was that when I had been focused earlier, it had been pretty tight. So my question at that point was, you know, I had been pretty good at the focus, and yet it had had a lot of contraction around it. And so my question at that point with this influence of the receptivity of awareness is kind of more the question, how do I receive the breath in that same relaxed way? How do I do that? And so for my own um, exploration of this, I, I would start with open awareness. I would start with where the mind could be relaxed and receptive. And then I would just... Notice, actually, at some point that in that relaxed, receptive awareness, there would be a breath. I mean, at some point in that whole uh, experience flowing through, a breath was one of the things that flowed through. And in that moment of seeing that, I think this is where I got the idea, because you know, I was sitting there, you know, just experiencing whatever, you know, the, the sounds and the body sensations, very, the mind very relaxed, very calm, and then there was a breath. And it's like, wow, it is possible t- for the mind to be with a breath in that same relaxed way. How might I be able to do two or three of those? <laughs> so that became my exploration of how can I bring that relaxed, um, receptive quality to choosing an object, choosing an experience. And so the way I explored this was when I was in that place of receiving experience and there was a breath, I would just gently incline the attention and say, okay, how about a second one? How about a third one? But the, the key here wasn't that I was... My, my orientation around that project of coming into the breath wasn't so much to try to be with the breath as long as I could, but more, can I be with the breath in a relaxed way? That was the priority, the relaxation and receptivity of being with the breath. And so if I discovered, which almost happened when when I first started this, within the space of a breath or two, that the mind would go right back to its habit of clamping down I would lose that sense of relaxation rather than then at that point trying to say, okay, well, hold on to the breath and try to figure it. I would just let go of trying to be with the breath. Go back to that space of relaxed, receptive attention and, you know, take my time in trying to make that connection 
with the breath. You know, sometimes it would take 40 minutes (laughs) for the mind to kind of agree to be with the breath in this relaxed way. The mind had cultivated such a habit of contracting around the breath that it took a long time. And so patience, for me, patience in the um, bringing that attention, patience in the um, coming into the one-pointed or you know, connecting with one object... It was, it was that I had to let go of the agenda of concentration and let go of the agenda of staying with one experience instead to have the primary motivation for the practice to be this relaxed, receptive quality of attention. So those are just a few ways that I have explored this. I'm sure there are more. I'm sure there are as many ways to build these bridges as there are minds out there. Um, but it, so it is possible. And, and it, I think it mostly just takes curiosity, you know. How, how, how might this be possible in making that exploration for yourselves? Um, so your description of being in the coffee shop and seeing two people in front of you that were chatting and, you know, clearly happy to be together, that there was a feeling of delight and happiness that arose in you, yet it came with a but. You know, that but you mentioned too, one, a but, I don't deserve to be happy, or but there's an awful lot of suffering elsewhere in the world. Um, and so, you know, you were saying that uh, there wasn't a kind of a wholehearted ability to be with that happiness because there was this but. And that, that it seemed like something that was worth further exploration. It is definitely worth further exploration because it is, it's kind of an attitude or an, an extra thing that's going on. And I'm not going to say that, um, you know, that I think again there can be a kind of an idea that you know, when I'm in the present moment, oh, happiness arises. I should fully be with that happiness and, like, not let anything else in. Those two things you mentioned have kind of different qualities to them. One, a feeling of maybe self... um, a little self-negativity. I mean, I don't deserve this. Um, The other is more a connection to, yeah... The truth. Um, and so that one, I would encourage maybe just a simple, yes, there's happiness here and, rather than but. So it's a kind of a stretching to recognize. I mean, the, the, the practice of opening our heart And I think that the relationship piece really points to this. The practice of opening our heart does begin to connect us. And we do start to feel, we resonate. You know, we see someone who's happy. I was driving down the the road this morning and I saw, I was sitting at a stop sign and I saw three people on on the corner and they were clearly delighted to be together. I couldn't even hear their conversation, just their gestures, the way they, they were with each other. And I had a little bit of that moment of delight too. It's like, Oh, it's, I'm so happy for them. You know, 
And there is a lot of things not that in this world. So, you know, the, the, the heart that begins to connect to relationship in this way, that opens, the heart that begins to feel and resonate with what's happening in the world, um, feels both. Feels, it's like it, it opens wide to feel both the joy and the pain of the world. And so, you know, it's not... In our own minds, it's an either-or. You know, it's like they're contradictory somehow. The, the heart of connection asks us to recognize they're both valid. They're both here. They're both, they're both true. And that's hard for us, you know. It, we do have this either-or thing. And, and sometimes it is a feeling of, I don't deserve to be happy because there is so much misery in the world. Um, sometimes there's an, I don't deserve to be happy because, you know, I'm a bad person. That's another, another thing entirely. Um, but to, to, to recognize that this stretching to relationship is a stretching to acknowledge the truth that yes, there is suffering. There is, un, you know, life is unreliable. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of grief, a lot of sadness in the world. And there's a lot of joy. So it, it is asking us to open. Um, the other side, that, so that's definitely a side that I think that's worth more exploration is in that opening to see where is it that it's hard to acknowledge both. It's, it's like our, our minds go, should be one way or the other. <laughs> everybody should be happy or everybody should be basically, I mean, the mind kind of goes in this perverse way. Everybody should be miserable as long as anybody's miserable. The, the, the kind of exploration is how can I acknowledge and open to this happiness and not shut down or deny what, what is so challenging in the world? What is so uh, painful in the world? And I talked a little bit yesterday, I think at some point, about these emotions of impermanence that have this heartbreaking quality to them. And I, you know, I described not knowing whether I should cry or laugh. You know, that's the kind of feeling that gets engendered as our heart stretches and begins to actually connect. So you're kind of touching into that a little bit. Um, Bittersweet, yes, yes. The word bittersweet, exactly. Um, and then there's the, the other side that you mentioned. Um, I don't know if it's a self-negativity or a, that that was engendering that sense of I don't deserve this. Um, but that's another piece also to look at. Um, that one um, is more an inner exploration, to begin to to look at the the ways that we're contracted. And again, it's not to try to deny that. It's like the way to open, ultimately the way to open around self-negativity, any of the ways that we contract or identify or or, uh, get tight, is not to try to say, you know, that pattern, that thing is bad, that's, you know... I've definitely had this sense, you know, in working with a pattern of self-hatred, which I worked with a lot. Um, and when I first started looking at it, it kind of felt like this pattern of self-hatred is wholly bad. 
You know, what I need to do is take a scalpel and, like, just take that tumor out and get rid of it. And that was kind of the the motivation of the attention in a way. And yet, as I began exploring what was going on there, you know, there are threads of, you know, basically there's this, this kind of self flagellation of you're no good you're you know you're a failure but underneath that is still this real wish to be connected to be to be um uh to feel love to uh and and yet it's it's gotten kind of tied in on itself or something so that it's that, that we're not really seeing the the threads to kind of a more wholesome, I talked about this a little bit too, this, that, that most of our conflict in um, uh, our minds is kind of this back and forth between these deep wishes of wanting to, to, to be loved, wanting to be belong, wanting to, um, uh, you know, very human wishes to be happy, healthy, safe, and the reality of impermanent, unreliable, out of control, how those kind of butt up against each other. And, you know, even self-hatred has threads to both. You know, that, that pretty much the way to open or the way to transformation is... Um, is not through trying to cut something out and get rid of it, but by opening to it to understand it. And the opening to to understand begins to transform and allow us to see what, you know, what parts of this are connected to those wholesome wishes. What parts are connected to the resistance to impermanent, unreliable, not-self? Can I open to that truth and not deny those wishes? So the, uh, uh, you know, whenever we have anything, like, you know, the sense of, oh, oh, there's this happiness, but. You could let that but be a little bit of a, oh, there's a little contraction here. And not to try to deny that contraction, but actually it's like we go through that. We open to that contraction more and more fully. And it's like that contraction begins to show us and educate us and inform us about itself and there's kind of a a movement a transformation of that so it's it's not that things go away just like they're being um, surgically removed they are mutated into uh something more wholesome that understands both the wisdom of the truth and the heartfelt sense of wanting to connect. So that's, that's, a, that's a... I have a deep trust in that in my own experience that any time there's something going on where there's a contraction or a, a, a sense of... Um, something feeling off or feeling conflict. I have a deep trust at this point that meeting it as I can 
And most of the time, because I have this confidence at this point, I can meet it, that meeting it is the uh, pathway, not trying to deny it, not trying to fix it or change it, but really just show me what you are. Show me what's here. Curiosity about that is what allows that shift to happen. So it's... uh, you're, you're seeing so much. You're seeing a lot. And uh, I feel the, the poignancy of what you're seeing. So allowing that, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with what you're noticing. <laughs> it's very human. And there can be a transformation of humanity through that, from contractedness to openness. <laughs> 